Today's scripture reading is from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we, were too, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in a malice, in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Here ends the lesson. Please be seated. Thank you, Carl. Well, we are in the fourth week of our series titled Living Life as Lutherans. This has been a very educational series which really gets to the heart of what it means to live as Lutheran Christians. Last week, Pastor Mark answered the question, can my good works earn salvation? And this week, we have an opportunity to build on what we learned last week and answer the question, does grace have any stipulations? Well, the short answer to this question is no. No, grace does not have any stipulations. Now, last week, we were reminded that we are saved by grace through faith, that we do not earn our salvation, but rather it is a gift from God. Now, one might say, well, wait a second. Isn't the requirement of faith itself a stipulation? It's a good question, but it's not exactly correct. Our faith is not a condition for God giving us and offering us the gift of salvation. Our faith in Christ, however, is necessary for us to receive it. God has given us this gift, but if we do not reach out our hand to accept the gift, then it's a bit difficult to actually receive it. Now, I came across this illustration that I think might be helpful. It's not a perfect illustration, but it might help explain this concept a little better. Imagine that you have a dad who is wanting to take his son to Disneyland. He has already bought the tickets, he's packed the lunch, he's filled the car up with gas. He knows that the gates of Disneyland are wide open, ready to receive his family. So he says to his child, get in the car, I want to take you to Disneyland. But then the child has a choice. He can get in the car trusting that indeed his dad is going to take him to Disneyland, or he can refuse to get in the car thereby not having a way to get there. It's not, if you get in the car, then I'll take you to Disneyland. Because Disney is not the reward for getting in the car. The ticket to Disneyland was already bought and paid for. The father had already made the plans and prepared the way. But in order to get to Disney, the child has to get in the car. He has to accept the ride. It's not if, then. It's because I have already made these plans for you, I want you to accept this gift by getting in the car so that you have a way there. The child has to take that necessary step. Salvation 
is by grace. It's an offer of unmerited favor accepted through faith. Now, throughout Scripture, we are reminded of this gospel truth. And I want to take a look at the, a few of those verses that reinforce this. First of all, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. This was our text from last week. It reads, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then Philippians 3, 9, I'm going to start in verse 8. I consider then them, my personal gains, is what he is referring to, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news. And from today's reading, Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Now, these are just a few examples, but they are, they are consistent with all of Scripture. We are saved by grace through faith. And grace has no stipulations. But really, I think we have a larger question looming here. The question really becomes, now what? God, through the sacrifice of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has freely offered us the gift of grace. So how does this affect the way we live our lives? Does it? Should it? Pastor Mark touched on the answer to this question briefly last week through this reading of Ephesians 2.10. It reads, We are God's handiwork, and we have been freely saved for God's purpose, to do good works in his name, to share the love of God with the world. But then he touched on James. This is the book of the Bible which frustrated Luther. And it frustrated Luther because it seemed to confuse the good news of God's grace and mercy. And it begged us to ask the question of what role works makes in our salvation. But let's take a look at that. James 2, verses 14 through 17, it's on page 978, if you have your worship Bibles with you this morning. James 2, 14 through 17. It reads, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, 
is dead. Hmm. Is this a text which makes us question the role of works in our salvation? No. Rather, it's a text which answers the question, now what? Now that we have been saved by the gift of grace through faith, now what? See, this passage is not saying that we earn our salvation through works. Salvation is a gift of God by grace. For Jesus, for Matthew, for Paul, this was never about having faith or doing works. It is about an authentic obedience expressed through acts of mercy and love for one another. Let me say that again. This is all about authentic obedience expressed through acts of mercy and love for one another. Caring for the least of these, helping someone in need, living selflessly, These things are not done as a means to an end, but rather done as an expression of love as we actively live out the will of the Father. That is true discipleship. Now what? Now we are to live changed lives. Let's take a closer look at our text for today. And reminder, it's on page 966. This is Titus. We're going to begin in verse 1 and 2, chapter 3. Paul tells Titus, who is a pastoral leader on the island of Crete, to remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Well, now the Cretans were notoriously disorderly and impatient with all authority. And while that is true, this reminder is still good and very relevant for us today. Because as people of God, we are subject to rulers and authorities. And yes, that is a worldly reference. We are to be obedient in fulfilling our civic duties by obeying the laws, paying our taxes, and by respecting those in authority. From the president to the city government to our local police. And as Christians, we have dual citizenship. with the kingdom of God. So we should be praying for all of those people. We should be praying for all of them whether you agree with them or not because we are to do whatever is good. Paul goes on to say that we are to slander no one. We are to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. See, those who talk bad about their neighbors or their friends or their enemies, those who are quarrelsome and inconsiderate of others, Not only do they make poor citizens, but they are also poor testimonies of our Savior. We are to be gentle toward everyone. But make make no mistake, this is not a, a meek gentleness. This is not about timidity. This is a gentleness that conveys strength under control. This is a kind of patient strength that comes from a deep and abiding relationship with God. Why does Paul feel that these people need a reminder about these character traits? Because in verse 3 he says, At one time we, meaning Paul and Titus and believers, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Before we knew Christ, 
We too wore a sinful nature. We too displayed questionable character. Put away your arrogance, Paul says, because you too were foolish and refused to acknowledge the truth. You too were disobedient and chose to live in opposition to God. And you too were deceived and bought into world philosophies and false teachings. You too were enslaved and held bondage to the passions and pleasures of a self-serving lifestyle. You are not without sin. But, Paul says, verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's a reference to Pentecost. He saved us. He saved us. This is not our own doing. This is not because of our own goodness. This was because even in our sinfulness, God saved us, not out of an obligation, but out of his great mercy. What made our Christian life a possibility? An historic event in which the grace of God was manifested. The appearance of Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection— That is divine kindness. It's the fullest expression of God's grace and love toward humanity. Why would God go to such great lengths for us? Verse 7. So that, having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We are heirs of eternal life. See, while the gift of eternal life is a certainty based on the saving action of Christ on the cross, a point in history, it is yet to be fully obtained and thus remains an object object of hope. It is this certainty in the hope of things to come that should push us to live the kind of life spelled out in verses 1 and 2, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to be peaceable and considerate and gentle toward everyone. Then in verse 8, Paul assures Titus and us that this is a trustworthy saying, that he is speaking the gospel truth. I want you to stress these things, he says, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. We can experience a new reality in Christ, my friends, but you need to take a step in active faith. Do this, Paul implores, because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike, benefit when we live out these godly character traits. But the sad thing is, the sad reality is that too many people who claim to be Christians are not living a changed life. No doubt, it's challenging to stay the course. It is for me, anyhow. The desires of the flesh and the pull of the world are strong. Paul says to keep on reminding the people how to behave and act toward one another, because not only did we, too, commit these sins, 
but we can easily fall back into a pattern of foolishness, disobedience, deception, and bondage to sin. Offer grace, Paul says. Show the world the same kind of grace which Christ has shown you. Do you do that, friends? Do you offer the same sort of courtesies that God offers you? Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness? Do you share God's love with the world? Do you live your life in a way where others can see the joy and peace of the Lord in the way you do life? Brothers and sisters, Christ died on a cross for us. Yes, to be certain, this is a gift that is freely given. We did not earn it by works, nor does it come with stipulations. This is a trustworthy saying. But what good is that gift if we do not use it as God intended? To show others God's love. To live our lives as faithful witnesses to the fact that God and his love for us are alive and well. As Pastor Mark mentioned last week, this is not an if-then situation. But this is something entirely more, more meaningful and powerful. Because God gave his son for us, because Jesus died and rose again, because God has shown us unmerited favor, because God has shown us radical love, we therefore are saved. We can be obedient. We can do whatever is good. We can be peaceable and considerate and always gentle toward everyone. Because of God's mercy, we are justified by his grace through faith. And we are heirs to the living hope of eternal life. Go, therefore, and live a changed life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have gone to great lengths for us. Your Son has paid the price for our sins so that you have released us to be free, free to show others the great love that you have shown us, free to bring people to you as faithful witnesses. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift of your Son who suffered immeasurably for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.